Well, welcome to the Memoirs of Abiding podcast. I'm Chris Bryant. We wanted to start something a little different and counter to what many have been taught or learned through experience. Our topics will be practical and theological, focusing on what the early church thought. What we are going to talk about isn't some new idea, but rather an old idea gaining traction again. Our tell is sharing our experiences and looking at the Bible and this material. Our ask is that you will take it into your own devotion time and ask the Lord how to best apply it. We will talk about this material each week, and we have blogs addressing practical applications at www.memoirsofabiding.com. We hope you experience God through talking about His Word with us. Well, welcome back to the Memoirs of Abiding podcast, where we are diving into God's Word in an interesting way as we seek to find and a different way of studying God's word so that we can actually commit it to our hearts, to treasure it up, to store it. And this is part three of that series as we learn how to make observations. Last podcast, we were uh, making observations using John 3, the conversation between Nicodemus and Jesus at night. And we made some great observations and uh, points on what any reader of the Bible can do on their own. They don't have to be a seminary student or, you know, a theological studies major and getting a doctorate or anything like that. This is just the lay person. And uh, we made some great progress on there. And I wanted to, again, introduce Ricky into our conversation. Ricky, I'm excited to jump even more into John and and looking at some of the Old Testament stuff with you today. Indeed, it's uh, always such an honor and privilege to, back when you started this and uh, I had no, I, I really had no idea of the longevity of, of such a project. It's been, it's been wonderful. I've Along the way, I've learned a lot and gained even more, you know, both directly and indirectly, directly from our conversations, indirectly from just the process and uh, opens up conversations with other people, you know, away from the podcast. So I'm excited and I'm excited to pick up where we left off on the last podcast where we were going to cover the first eight verses of John chapter three. And I think we got the first two verses and a bit of a forecast for verse three, but it's such a great passage to consider, you know, especially one particular Bible study method that is important in every part of the Bible. And that is to read over and over and observe observe and ask questions and when we talked about it like a detective a detective ask as many questions as possible about whatever they're investigating to eliminate all the potential answers no matter how ludicrous or plausible they might happen to be trying to eliminate things that it cannot be and whittling yourself down to oh this is this is what it means. And probably we'll never, ever be able to do that with every passage of Scripture with 100% degree of certainty. 
but it's not a hard process and it's it's not laborious it's only that if if our heart isn't right but if our heart's right and we're really wanting to pour god's word away into our heart and be transformed by the word rather than just informed by the word as you often say then it's just pure joy and it's fun and more than that it becomes life-changing god uses his word to to wash out the craziness in our brains and instill in us the mind of of christ so i'm excited i'm excited to tackle this once again so there you go yeah and going along with what you said there you know those making those observations and then finding them within the word of god we talked about this on the last podcast it can bring an excitement to the time in the word and just like any kid loves to you know back when i was growing up we had the carmen san diego we had <laughs> um you know those sort of sleuth shows yeah. and uh, they brought kind of an excitement when you got to join in and try to figure out you know what's the mystery and and where is where in the world is carmen san diego yeah they used to have that uh, that old game where you'd have to go around the world trying to track down her and her minions and it it brought an excitement i mean it, it pushed an engagement and uh, and made us start to look more into scripture as this hyperlinked system as opposed to what we've seen in the past which is yeah i mean the bible's a collection of these books but they're all standing on their own and they all talk about this common theme but but how much of it is actually interconnected i mean it's it's pretty consistent throughout um, so yeah that's that's great and one of the things you know we ended with the last one on but when we're looking at you know what does a good bible student look at when they do this and they look at the questions and we'll go over more questions today but how does how does one start to understand what all these different words mean I mean, we we use the word born again and kingdom of god and just like you said the the more that we read and read and read through the word of god we can find that these things are explained throughout the scriptures both in the new testament and the old testament in the in the first five books of the bible the pentateuch but even into the the psalms and the the poetry and the historical accounts we can find it in the minor and major prophets i mean it's it's so interesting to see that and and yeah like a detective or you know i have a more of a sciency background so i i picture the the scientist side of it but yeah it's it's such a wonderful thing that god gave us it wasn't just like a book that's mismanaged and so chaotic that i can't really find answers and so then i do have to just turn my brain off and faith is not necessarily um founded on knowledge or understanding but instead it it becomes like this push the button the i believe button and uh and hope that no one ever asks that question again but so many christians live in that fear that someone's going to ask a question so maybe that causes someone to not talk about the word of god with someone because what happens if they are knowledgeable and they bring up these questions and all of a sudden my faith looks weak because I can't can't answer them. And we want every child of God to be able to stand firm on the truth in this. I was just talking to my kids tonight during our devotion time, and uh, we're reading through Job. And in fact, in Job, uh, we're in chapter, 
think it's 28. Um, but he's talking about, you know, wisdom and, and how important wisdom is. And we see he talks about it like there's a mine for silver, verse 20, uh, chapter 28, uh, mine for silver, a mine for gold. And he talks about this. But then he says in verse 12, um, or excuse me, verse uh, verse 20, where then does wisdom come from? Where does understanding dwell? It is hidden from the eyes of the every living thing concealed. God alone understands it. I'm paraphrasing. So then we, we, uh, we had this moment. It says to fear the Lord, that is wisdom and to shun evil is understanding, which brought up in my own mind, Proverbs three, um, where we see something similar, where we have the fear of the Lord is the beginning or the start of, of wisdom and, and understanding. So all of this begins to put into effect that our faith isn't just built on a bunch of, you know, sermons. This is built on truth and um, understanding and uh, man. So the more you can as a, as a listener, as a child of God, or as a seeker, you don't know if, if God's real and, and you want to do it. Read more of the word and watch how consistent it is throughout, uh, throughout all, all the books. Um, so with, with that, let's, uh, let's jump into John. Um, yeah, so I think we got through two and, uh, and we were, we were jumping in further. Now you jumped around a few times and even jumped in to verse 10. Um, but let's start in verse, verse three. So Jesus answered and said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, there's that keyword. He cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? And Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Let's pause with that one. So this is three verses right there. So, I mean, observations. What are some of the observations you're seeing here, Ricky? Well, just like we looked last time, we, we would just take them phrase by phrase. So I, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God. So we have, you know, ask the observation, observational question. What does he mean by kingdom of God? Uh, the phrase, unless he's born again, what does he mean by born again? Then Nicodemus in verse four, you know, <laughs> He he asked a you know a silly question, it seems to me. How can a man be born when he's old? Nicodemus asked, surely he can't enter a second time into mother's womb to be born. So we could ask about that, but I think on the surface he's just he's kind of he's kind of bewildered by what, what Jesus is saying. And, yeah. and last week I, I jumped down to verse ten just to to make a point, you know, verse ten, Jesus says to him, But you're Israel's teacher. And you don't understand these things. So as one of Israel's great teachers, Nicodemus should have known this. Now we could ask, why does Jesus say that? And I'll just answer this one. But the student or the listener to our podcast 
needs to become aware that if you read through the Bible, you'd understand why Nicodemus should have known it. Because Nicodemus knows his Old Testament, the you know, the first half of the Bible. And he should have known what Jesus was talking about. And we'll see that. We'll see tonight why in this podcast why why Nicodemus should have seen this. Nonetheless, back up to to, to verse four, you know, like I can't get in my mom's womb again. And so there's that question. Verse five, Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God. Okay, that comes up again. So again, what's the kingdom of God? Now he says, unless he is born of water and the spirit, as opposed in verse three, born again. You almost have a parallel. In verse three, in reply, Jesus declared, Verse 5, Jesus answered. Verse 3, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God. Verse 5, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God. Verse 3, unless he's born again. Verse 5, unless he's born of water and the spirit. There's a clear parallel. You know, when Jesus makes a statement, then verse 4, Nicodemus asks something, Jesus restates the question but adds a little more information, not simply born again, but born of the water and the spirit. And then he says in verse six, flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to the spirit. So now we have these questions. Well, okay, what's he mean by born again? What does he mean by born of water and the spirit? What's he mean? Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. That one is easier to answer because, you know, flesh is the body. So we're born physically, but we also have to be born spiritually. So now we have this observation. What does he mean by being born again or in verse five, being born of water and the spirit? So that's the observation and that's the question. And now we have to figure out what that means. Sure. So what did we do last week when we tried to figure out what some of the things in verses one and two meant uh, what was our what was our modus operandi to get that done well i mean it's looking at scripture yeah yeah so at elsewhere in scripture yeah yeah so we had a lengthy conversation about well you might want to read all of the gospels since the gospels matthew mark luke and john are the biographies of the lord jesus by by the inspired apostles so they're not they are not day-to-day chronologically sequential biographies they're they're vignettes they are their collection of vignettes they're a they're a portrait and the portrait that matthew draws and the portrait that mark draws and the portrait by luke and by the way luke does say his is chronological but it's not day by day it's not everything and then John is a little bit distinctive as well. Uh, they're portraits of the life of Jesus, and every event about Jesus is is completely historical. And everything that Jesus taught in that historical event carries forward into the apostles' teaching of it, writing it down. But they might also use the same historical event with the same eternal principle, but they might apply it in a different way, you know, depending on the circumstances to the people they're writing to. 
So if you read the Gospels, you're going to learn more about Jesus. And in the reading of the Gospels, as we saw last week, we found answers for the question from verse 2. For no one could perform the miraculous signs you're doing if God were not with him. So we didn't need a preacher. We just found that we could read, pour God's word away in our heart. And in verse 2 of John chapter 3, we found our answer in the Gospel of Mark, uh, chapters 1 and 2. Uh, and you can go back and listen to that podcast to see what I'm saying. So we have the same observational Bible study method here. And we're asking the question, what does Jesus mean when he says, born again, or in verse 5, born of water and the Spirit? So now let's go back to that, that mentor-student process. When, when we ask the question, Chris, what does Jesus mean by those two parallel phrases, born again and born of the water and the Spirit? If, if you know nothing about the Bible, if you're the student who knows nothing and I say to you, what does that mean? Then your only response can be, I, I don't know. <laughs> you're the teacher. You tell me. But I can ask, now I can ask you, based on the last podcast, how can you find out what it means? And what might well, you do? One thing I we, we talked about you know, even just looking up that statement, born again, um, we can look up, you know, maybe we've got a an interlinear, we, we kind of mentioned that, or maybe we use some one of these online um, word checkers, concordances, anything like that. We can look up and we could say, okay, what are these, what are these two words here? And um, where else do they appear? Are they uh, elsewhere in the in the Greek text, the New Testament, and then you know we might even be able to look at a commentary and see is there other spots that we can find this, or are there other spots in the Old Testament as well? I mean, just just looking at that first one, born again, right? Yeah. Now, if we if we if we look in the Old Testament, so I'm going to give the answer. Uh, uh, it would be a daunting task for somebody to read all the books of the Old Testament in search of the of the phrase born again, right? But I would encourage people to fall so much in love with God and his word because it's how we get to know him better. Uh, Dr. Joe Aldrich, very well-known Bible teacher in years gone by, you know, encouraged people and exhorted us and admonished us. Listen, we don't worship the printed page, but we worship the Prince of Peace. And his printed pages tell us all about him. So we don't worship the Bible, but we worship the one who gave us the very words, phrases, sentences, paragraphs, and completion of the Bible. So it's how we get to know about him and getting to know about him, we get to know him. So I, in this particular case, I would suggest that somebody use a good Bible encyclopedia, like Zondervan's pictorial Bible encyclopedia uh, or something like that. And look up 
the the article you know in the encyclopedia on on born again and hopefully the writer of that article will cover it con consistently enough to help us out but so that we can see how the bible is our best source of information for the phrase born again and the phrase born of water and the spirit let's ask another question what are some things that perhaps somebody might think what are you know no matter how outlandish what what could water and spirit possibly mean what are what are the possibilities even if even if you know <laughs> they're not they're not correct what what could water and spirit mean i've i've heard baptism okay you know, that's one we'll that... see water baptism so could be baptism and if they and if it's baptism then it's saying you're born uh when you're bap you're born again because that's the parallel to verse three right yeah and for that to happen you have to be baptized and in fact people have bought that solution and there are de christian denominations that include water baptism as a part of the formula for salvation sure uh, so now not going in depth i'll just say it's not that yeah what about this idea that you know we say when someone's going into labor and their water breaks there's water right there. You, there is another possibility. Um, now the question is, even though that possibility doesn't jump off the page right away, somebody could think that. Then a, a follow-up question would be, what do you see within the context that might give us cause or pause to think that? And there actually is something there, right? Because sure. he does talk about physical birth, doesn't he? Yeah. And so one of the interpretations have been, well, it's as simple as this. You are born physically. And in order the king to enter in order to enter the kingdom of God, you have to be born. Yeah. Right. Uh, I'm Ricky. My dad's name was Paul, and my wife, my mom's name was Gladys. And because Paul and Gladys were married, they decided to have children, and one of them was Ricky. And I have to yes. be born in order to enter the kingdom of God, born physically, right? But then we can ask a question. If we look at verses three and five again, the, the parallels are are just staggeringly. They just stare out at you. And the phrase, unless it's born again, goes along with verse, verse five, unless he's born of water and the spirit. So the parallels are between born again and not the, not the part about being born physically right yeah. jesus says in verse six flesh gives birth to flesh but the spirit gives birth to spirit actually that verse six then tells us well, we're not talking about we're not talking about flesh birth because spirit gives birth to spirit and flesh gives birth to flesh so it's not that so it's not baptism it's not human birth can you think of anything else that might possibly be you know, um, 
in some some cases in in modern media, you know, we see water being a conduit of spiritual life. So, you know, I'm I'm thinking from the the person who has no knowledge of the word of God. There's there's an avenue maybe they've heard of. Which is interesting because if we look at the, the, the parallel here, born again, born of water and the spirit, the actual connection, the actual link is the phrase water and spirit. And since and since verse five is a is a, is a further explanation of verse three, it's really smart to consider that one of the possibilities is that, well, water and spirit is not a combination of two things, but maybe a synonymous statement. He's using a synonym on behalf of spirit. And is it possible that in this case, Jesus means that water is actually a synonym for the word spirit? And if that's a possibility, how might we find that out? Well, we'd have to find, you know, the uses of water in the Old Testament to see if anything confirms that, right? Yeah. Uh, and we could even say in the Old Testament, we might also say, well, if that's a possibility, it might show it might show up in the Bible somewhere else either in the Old Testament or the New Testament, or perhaps both. Well, that's interesting because if we were just, you know, but as you were talking last week, you said, so somebody maybe just kind of jots these down. They put a sticky note in their Bible and, and they, because they maybe they haven't found that connection that answers it yet. Well, that's okay. They've asked the question. They've made the observation They've written it down. They put a sticky note in their Bible, or maybe they're using a notebook, whatever it might happen to be. But then we keep reading, right? So if we were to keep reading in John chapter 4, we come to another historical event in the life of Jesus. And so in this particular story, it's the story of Jesus, and he meets a, a woman from Samaria. I'll leave it to the readers, to the listeners of this podcast to to read that. Um, chapter 4, verses 1, and they wanted to read the whole thing. It goes down through verse 26. I'd really encourage them to do that. But Jesus is walking through, and he goes through Samaria. Samaria is a very unique place to the Israelites, so it carries some historical connotations. Jesus comes to the a well that had been dug hundreds of years before by, by Jacob, one of the fathers of Israel and the Samaritans. Verse 7, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water from the well, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with the Samaritans. Jesus did, didn't he? Even though Jews weren't supposed to. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God, who is that? 
who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. There it is. Sir, the woman said, you've nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as did also his sons, his flocks and his herds? And Jesus answered, everyone who drinks the water will be thirsty again, this water from the well. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So even if we didn't go any further than John chapter 4, we already have the greatest clue possible as to what Jesus means when he's having a meeting with Nick at night. Right? Sure. Um, Jesus uses water metaphorically as eternal life. Metaphorically, then, where does that come from? From the born-again experience through the Spirit of God. Okay, we haven't made that complete connection, but you, one thing people should keep in mind, so we're, we're giving away uh, uh, an observational point that should always be kept in mind. When you're reading a, Jesus and his very own words, be prepared to, to delve into the Old Testament. Jesus rarely ever speaks without, the, without his knowledge of the Old Testament, his the Father and the Holy Spirit prompting Jesus in his incarnation to re-utter the truths of the Old Testament. If we were to follow this, we could go to chapter 7. Of course, you don't want to skip anything in between. But for our sake, if we go to chapter 7 of John, and there's... Uh, a conversation that's taking part about Jesus, and he refers to himself as the bread of life. You know, people are clamoring for physical miracles that they might have food to eat. And Jesus said, I, I can do that, but I really want to give you the bread of life, and I'm the bread of life. But then down to verse 35 of chapter 7. And then Jesus declared, I'm the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and still you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me. I'm sorry, I'm reading from chapter 6. Jump ahead to chapter 7. After the bread of life in chapter 6, now you come to chapter 7, uh, talking about uh, the living water. Uh, verse 37. And on the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, If anyone's thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. By this he meant the Spirit, capital S, Spirit, whom those who have believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not yet been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. 
and we have our answer. There it is. Yeah. Now, notice what he said, or, or what the text says. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. So let's just do a little bit more observation. Um, you have your Bible there? I assume you have your Bible? I do. Could you turn to Ezekiel chapter 36? As you're turning, Ezekiel's one of the prophets. During the days of the exiles of the nation of Israel under the Babylonians, the, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, and the Medo-Persian kingdoms. And there was this promise to the to the faithful remnant that something awesome is going to happen, you know, someday in the future. Now, this is literally centuries before Jesus. But remember, <laughs> Jesus is completely steeped in the truth that he and the Father and the Holy Spirit inspired from heaven. So uh, chapter, what did I say? Chapter 36, right? 36. And look at verses 24 through 28. And how about reading those for us? It says, For I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you. You will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from your, all your idols. I will give you a new heart, put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. So we get a, we get the living water, right? We get a new heart and a new spirit. We get a new heart and a new spirit. And he will put his spirit in us. So not only is the Holy Spirit given to us, which is, that means God living with us, but we're given a new heart and a new spirit. We are changed fundamentally. That's being born again. And Jesus refers to this whole thing with, um, as the Old Testament does, this eternal life from God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit as living water. Read, read that section again. Starting in 20, um, 24, yeah. For I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities, from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. That's what it means to be born again. So one of the things that we've learned, not only what does it mean to be born again, it means to be completely regenerated. The new covenant 
uh, that Jesus brings in the in his life, death, and resurrection was announced centuries before to the people of Israel, but made available to all the peoples of the world. That when the Messiah comes, those who have faith in him will be born again. Theologians refer to that as the, the great doctrine of regeneration. We are changed fundamentally in the core of our very being. We are made a new spirit, a spiritual being. And we partner with God and his, his spirit, the Holy Spirit of God, is with us. So we've learned what being born again means by making observations, asking, asking questions, and tracking down the answers to those questions by being good students of the Bible. We eliminated ideas that, in fact, others have come up with just as you did and draw down to that which Jesus actually means through the process of good observation, questions, and study. And if that's not abiding in the word of God, <laughs> I don't know what is. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. That, I find it compelling. It's... Uh, it's beautiful and it's transformative. The very words of Ezekiel. And if and if we followed that in the Old Testament, it it goes back even further. Um, and it pops up in Isaiah and it pops up in Jeremiah and it pops up in Joel and and you know it, it all 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 through the Bible, even going forward in time to the book of Revelation. And we hear about the living waters, you know, so that will flow from us. So one of the one of the beautiful things about the Bible are these hyperlinks. And because of the way the Hebrew mind worked and God worked with them in that language, like any language, there are there are synonyms for a particular truth. And sometimes those synonyms are literal and sometimes they're metaphorical. So in this case, the synonym water is equal to spirit. Well, the spirit is not literally <laughs> H2O, right? But the metaphorical imagery of you are panting, you are dying, you are thirsting, you are, you are starving for life in a barren wasteland desert, and God brings you living water. And like the Samaritan woman who came to the well in the morning to get water for her daily affairs, and Jesus said, could you give me a cup of water? He shares with her, well, you could drink from this well and be, be quenched of your thirst for a little while. But I want to give you water that lasts forever. And that would be water of eternal salvation. The water that only the Spirit of God can give. The water that comes from the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. What a beautiful, beautiful, incredible 
privilege God lays before us in this process of learning his word. Yeah, absolutely. And what a what a confirmation of the scriptures with consistency that we can look forward to. You know, we hear a lot of a lot of people that call them the pop atheists or the the atheists on you know just the, uh, the social media or on YouTube and they they will they will hit on an idea that sounds like it's an inconsistency in the word of God and therefore if, if this is inconsistent there's everything inside of it's inconsistent you can't believe any of it you got to throw it all out but when we as a believer start to look at this or or when we as a seeker start to look and say okay let me actually look into this is this consistent well not only is is my knowledge and my understanding answered but here's another benefit that comes out of this all of a sudden i start to see that there are multiple places in scripture that confirm the same thing and it just goes to show that the scriptures are not just this uh, collection of man's thoughts, but there must be some orchestrated event that's going on here throughout, you know, 3,000 years of of God's word, 4,000 years of God's word, because they're all lining up. They're all consistent. You know, we say there's 66 books and, you know, how many authors, 30, 30 something authors or something like that, right? You're the trivia guy. 40, 40, 40, authors. And in all of that, there should be some difficulties. If you imagine, you know, just modern books, like uh, what, what's that um, dragon uh, game of Thrones, right? Like that whole ice, wind and fire. They've got like a new author writing. Right. And uh, I think, right. The last few books or something like that or or any uh, that sounds really ignorant i may not know that there's other book series though that have come out and yeah. to continue on they had to turn it over to a new author okay and a lot of times when you read it you see there's there's inconsistency like this mm. uh this is not what you said you know in book one book book 10 now has so many inconsistencies outside of book one and we're in the same author then when we get to book 15 and we have a new author, uh, I, I got to throw it all out. There's so much inconsistency. And, and even when they, they do their best to check it, a lot of times we find you know, there's facts that are omitted or there's, there's blatant thematic things that are completely wrong. I found that in a number of books I've read. But when we read God's word, even through the test of time of a thousand plus years of writing, right? If we take the New Testament authors all the way to 67, 70 AD, we go all the way back to, you know, Moses writing, Moses looking at that. I mean, that's at, at least 2000 years prior to, right? I don't, I don't, not a hundred percent on my time timetable, but let's say it's it's at least a thousand plus years that's a lot of time for people to lose the message to change the message but that's not what we're seeing we're seeing a pretty consistent message here 
over time. And, um, and it just confirms God's hand in writing his book. Yeah. And I love in that. Fact, in fact, that has been demonstrated time and time again. So the history in the Bible that's being talked about spans, you know, approximately 4,000 years. It took about 1,500 years. That was the time span for all of these 66 books of the Bible to be compiled. But throughout them, from Genesis to Revelation, there is an extraordinary inconsistency. In fact, it's a it's one of the proofs of the both the reliability and validity of the Bible. Um, maybe some future podcasts we could talk about that, the, the, the defense of the Bible as the word of God. Um, but you're you're absolutely right. And and so we could ask, well, why, you know, did you like make this up? No, we just read in chapter seven, Jesus said, as the scriptures say. So now he doesn't always say that, right? But but he does in that particular case. Well, that tells us something. The, the people, the Israelite people knew that when a rabbi, when a, an Israeli teacher is talking, he's always, he's always supposed to be talking about the word of God. And now here was the problem in Jesus when he came to earth through the incarnation. He encountered that the Pharisees weren't doing their job. Hence, in chapter 3, verse 10, you, the teacher of Israel, and you don't understand these things? Yeah. So we don't want to get too haughty, do we, and say, <laughs> look at Jesus showing up the teacher of Israel, the Pharisee named Nicodemus. Nicodemus came probably at risk of his own well-being. He came at night because he really wanted to hear from Jesus what was, what was going on with this person. He was different than anybody else. So, so good on him, right? But when Jesus says, you, the teacher of Israel, you don't know these things, um, there's echoes of that same question. Through Moses, God gave the people the word of God, <laughs> and they would quickly turn from it. For centuries, God said, do you not recall? Do you not remember? Don't you know? You're supposed to know. Oh, we, the believers through faith in the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ can go, ha, those Jews and kind of, we, we better not. They're, they're God's people, but, but more pertinent to the discussion, believers do this all the time. American believers do it terribly too often. Most households have Bibles. Most households have multiple Bibles. In some countries, having a Bible will land you in prison. We have the incredible privilege of having God's word at our fingertips. But how often do people pour it into their, into their heart, treasure it in their heart, read it and read it, and, and discover the beautiful, awesome, incredible implications of what God is saying to us as, as uh, we looked at very briefly tonight 
I like earlier in the podcast tonight you brought that up. It's it's uh it's fun. It's it's exciting. I think we talked a little bit about that in the last podcast. And I'll do it because it's fun and exciting. <laughs> but it's it's far more important to me to do it because God encourages me and reminds me how much he loves me and how much he loves you and how much he loves everybody. Talked about that today, this morning in church. Is a verse like John 3.16, which comes just shortly after what we were talking about. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should never perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, for the world is condemned already, for it does not believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. God didn't send his son because we were righteous and because we were wonderful. He sent his son because we were had chosen condemnation. We had chosen to reject God. And he loved us so much that he became one of us, even to the point of death on the cross. Wow. <laughs> Show me another example of this. Right? Yeah. It's just, it's 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 such a beautiful thing in churches when we're talking about it. And part of the discussion is the application. Why do, I'm not talking about the rest of the world. Let's just talk about church people. Why do we get so worked up and why do we get so angry at everybody? Why is half the church in love with Trump and the other half's in love with Biden? Mm. Why does half the church hate Trump and the other half hates Biden? Why does half of the church in America love the Republicans and hate the Democrats and the other half of the church vice versa? Why do we shout and scream across the aisles, even at one another, let alone the rest of the world? Why do we do this when, when Jesus died for all of them? God the Father would pour this truth out, not just to Nicodemus, but to Joe Biden and to Donald Trump. To the criminal and the victim. But why can't we see that there's something so much grander here? When just for a few moments a while ago, as we searched the scriptures, you and I did. Amen? Mm. Yeah. Unless one's born of God, the water and the spirit. Well, we could ask us, you know, kind of coming to a summary. We could ask another observational question. Why does Jesus, instead of saying in this particular case, unless you believe in me. For that's also another answer in the Bible, unless you believe in Jesus, right? Unless you bow before the Father. That's another biblical answer. Why does Jesus, in this case, refer to the Spirit of God? Unless one is born of water and the Spirit. Unless you're born again. Unless you're born by the Holy Spirit. Well, that's an important question to ask, right? Another observation. And another question to ask about the observation. Why did he choose to focus on that? 
what have we then learned in this podcast and the previous? Now we've got some sleuthing to do. Now we have some investigation work to do. Now we have some more Bible reading to do. And lo and behold, if we do that, we'll find that solution as well. Hmm. I love it. Yeah. Um, and notice a, a big part of what we're doing is, is jumping through scripture. I can't stress that enough is Bible studies should be focused on scripture, not on what someone else says. And even if someone else says something, dive into the scriptures and see firsthand what it says in the context of what it's saying. Many can be led astray by a well-meaning pastor or Christian author or songwriter, and they may trust and you know explicitly in an individual, but maybe they don't quite understand the scriptures well. And so it's up to us then to look at the scriptures, see the context, do our own sleuthing, as you say, or you know, testing and and the hypotheses and eventually come to the understanding of, oh, this this checks with charts. This this is what they're talking about. Or, wait a minute, uh, what I'm reading doesn't quite line up with that. Maybe I need to look deeper into this. And, and we can find a lot of theological problems that we might have can be resolved, in our own minds at least, um, when we are going back to the source document, right? It's always always back to the source document that we want to look, that we want to go, because ultimately that was authored by, you know, the agency of these individuals through the work of God in their life. So, yeah, you know, and as we draw to the end of this particular podcast, would it be possible, I'm asking you uh, to follow up by helping people to do what we've done in the last two sessions. Um, it's, it's a bit of an unfair advantage that I have been studying the Bible for 40 plus years, but is there a way for someone to do what I'm, we're talking about? Let's say they go, they were reading John chapter three and they go, but, but Ricky, I, I, I want to know. And if I read the entire Old Testament and the New Testament to get my answer, though, that would be awesome. You know, if somebody did that, right? But they might want to find these passages more quickly. And is there a way to make that happen? There is. And that's why um, at this point in history, we are at a great advantage over those in the past who didn't have some of the library tools that we have. So we could, in a podcast, demonstrate to folks the use of a concordance and how they would be able to find the passages that, like we did tonight. Yeah. How to look up, you know, in, in this particular case, the word water, the word spirit, uh, born, born again, in a, in a tool that will list every reference to those English words found in a Bible. And that tool is called a concordance. And it would be really valuable for all students. It, it's essential, really, for every student of the Bible to have one. It's 
in my in my mind, I look back in time, you know, before there was a concordance, how envious I am of believers of the past who had such a heart for God that the only way they could do it was to, okay, well, I, I want to know the answer. I better start in Genesis and just start reading forward. And by the way, I've, I've known great men and women of God. Uh, so I'm 67, and the ones I'm talking about, there's only a couple of them still alive. Most of them now are with the Lord. But like, you know, one of the very influential Bible teachers that I studied under at Multnomah School of the Bible, uh, Dr. John Mitchell, he would tell us about the early days of his his walk in Christ. All he had was his small Bible that he carried in his pocket. And he'd be studying the Bible and he'd go, no, what in the world does that mean? Well, here I go, boys and girls. And he, he'd start in Genesis and he would read his Bible until he answered his question. Um, I'd like to be able to say I'm that same person. I read my Bible a lot, but I'm also thankful that I have the use of a concordance, that I can speed that process up a little bit. And we could help people with that if, if that's something you think would be, be appropriate. Yeah, I mean, you know, this is a four-part series. We introduce the tools on number one. We show a practical application of how one can make observations. And I think for the fourth one, I think that would be a great opportunity to utilize some of the things you've taught me as well, going through a concordance, um, you know, or even a Bible encyclopedia, something like that, and uh, and walking through, uh, especially considering, you know, now with, with the uh, breeze of finding things on the internet, I bought a concordance many years ago when it wasn't as you didn't have Bible hub and Bible gateway and Bible, this and Bible that online that already have concordances uh, hyperlinked in them. And so I I've got a few concordances here in Bible dictionaries that, uh, you know, play the part in that. But even, even so those were 50 or $60, but these ones online are free. And they are. I would caution people with them. However, they they are a bit uh, in when they're put on the internet, very very useful, but they are not as exhaustive. They they're kind of condensed a little bit, not to the point where you can't use them, but if a person could have in their possession the actual physical book, it, it would be very very helpful. But you're you're right. Uh, the ease at which we can do that nowadays is incredible. Um, having stated that, you know, don't read, every, don't believe everything you hear on the internet, <laughs> right? Sure. Yeah. yeah, that's that's true. No matter what we're talking about. So, well, I don't know about you, but I, you know, I started off really kind of fretful on this particular series, and now I'm just really, I'm really jazzed over it. And we, you know, we could probably, you know, it's up to me. We could stay in it for months. <laughs> Yeah. And we may we may cycle back over to it in a different section, maybe looking at um, some of the epistles or, you know, some of the, the harder hitting stuff. But um, certainly, well, let's let's wrap up with some prayer on this one. Um, Ricky, would you would you mind praying us out of this? Yeah. God in heaven, thank you. Uh, well, you know, 
my goodness, Lord, uh, how does someone praise you and thank you enough for not just who you are, just what you've done for us through the cross, the resurrection, and before that creation. Uh, but but that you continue to be involved in our life. And how much are you involved in our life? As 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 much as we're willing to receive, as as, as much as we're willing to to partner with you, and and actually, you're involved even when we are not being actively pursuing you. There's just no way to measure it. Uh, but even uh, during this podcast, as we've been able to see how Jesus, Lord, how you looked and viewed, looked at and, and viewed the scriptures. And, and by looking at you, we can see how to do it. And what kind of vistas it opens up to us and the, the insight that it brings to us and the wisdom it can produce in us and more importantly than that how pouring all that truth into us gives us your mind and your heart and you transform us even as you inform us so help us to get to know your word that we might abide in it and by abiding in your truth you're abiding in you and worshiping Thank you. We praise your holy name. Amen. Amen. So we want to end with an important scripture that reminds us to abide in him. John 14, 23. Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our abode with him. As you walk through this week, we encourage you to review the scriptures and themes we talk about and ask the Holy Spirit to team up with you to bring this information to life personally in your walk. Thank you for listening, and God bless.